scripture reading for this morning is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing our way through Mark's Gospel, and we now take an important turn in the narrative. Last week we saw Jesus confronting the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, and, and really, you know, just calling them out. You guys are hypocrites. You guys worship God with your lips only. You're paying lip service to God. There's no heart of worship that characterizes you. You take the very commandment of God that you say you're preserving and you're actually setting it aside. These guys were dead set on silencing Jesus. You might say that the very people who should have been the most receptive to his message were in fact deaf to it. Well, now Jesus crosses over into Gentile territory. The very people that the Jews had come to despise, the Gentiles, are the people that Jesus is going to. He's going to proclaim the good news to them. They are going to witness the miracles that he does in order to attest to the validity of the message concerning who he is as the Messiah. And they will be given ears to hear the message. Their tongues will be loosed, if you will, in order to proclaim the good news. The good news that the wideness of God's mercy encompasses even them. God's mercy is front and center in this passage, even though the word mercy isn't used anywhere in it. In the woman begging Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter, in the plight of the deaf man, and in the words and the works of Jesus, God's mercy is on display. The woman challenges us to pursue God's mercy. Jesus provides a pattern to follow in displaying God's mercy. And in the plight of the deaf man and his friends, their words in which they proclaim the wideness of God's mercy are truer than they realize. 
So we'll look at uh, these three lessons and seek to learn from these three, these three people this morning. First, from the woman, we learn that we must persist in the pursuit of God's mercy. And then second, from Jesus, we learn that we must follow the pattern of God's mercy. And then as we look at the man and his friends, we find uh, the opportunity to proclaim the wideness of God's mercy. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage, we do pray that by your Spirit, you would be working through it to capture our hearts. That we might realize that we have been the beneficiaries of a mercy that we do not deserve. That is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So first, pursue, uh, persist in the pursuit of God's mercy. That's what we learned from the woman. And let's look at this passage that, if you hadn't heard it before, surely your eyebrows were raised as I read verses 25 through 28. Let's figure out what's going on there. And the question really is, is Jesus insulting her? <laughs> is, this, is this like a massive insult? Or is, in this, is this in some way an invitation to her to actually draw closer to him? And I'm going to argue that it's actually an invitation. It's not an insult. And I think there are a few reasons that we know why from the text itself. That Jesus is not dismissing her and he's not insulting her. First, let's look at the metaphor in verse 25. Uh, what is being said, I'm sorry, verse 27. What's being said there? He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. All right, so it's, it's like a parable, really. The children are the people of Israel. The bread is the, the good news of the gospel, that the Messiah has come, the kingdom of God has broken in. It's the message. And the dogs were the Gentiles. Again, in that day, Jews viewed dogs as wild scavengers, not pets. And they referred to Gentiles as dogs. So, this is what Jesus is saying. How do we know that he's not dismissing her or insulting her? And I think the first clue is the fact that he says, let the children be fed first. He doesn't, right from the very beginning, dismiss them and say, this, this message actually isn't for your kind. This message is only for the Jews. He says, no, let the children be fed first. It was always supposed to be that way, actually. If you look at the Old Testament, from the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, it was that Abraham and his offspring would be a blessing to the nations. Through them, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In Isaiah chapter 49, we read that the Jews are to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. In Matthew's account of this miracle, when Jesus cast the, the, you know, the, the demon out of the woman's uh, daughter, in Matthew's account, Jesus says to the woman, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. And that, you look at Jesus' ministry, it was primarily to the Jewish people. But this little foray into Gentile territory here is a little preview of what will happen when the disciples take the gospel to the nations. And ultimately, it's a preview of what we're called to do as the church to continue that proclamation of the grace and the mercy of God to the ends of the earth. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is salvation is for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. Jesus was just reiterating what has been true from beginning to end. This message of the gospel comes first to the Jewish people and then it goes on to the Gentiles. So he says, let the children be fed first. He's not dismissing her. He's actually affirming 
that it will be for her. The second is the way that he phrases the word dogs. The end of verse 27. Don't throw it to the dogs. He uses the diminutive form of the word dogs. It could be translated puppies. No Jewish person would refer to a Gentile as a puppy. Puppies are cute. Here's the thing. Gentiles did use dogs as pets. So it's kind of like he was opening a little door for her to kind of take the metaphor, take the parable, and re-engage with it in a way that was more from her perspective as a Gentile with little puppies under the table begging for the scraps. That's what she does. That's how she uses it. Out of the Gentile context, in which, or the Jewish context, in which he doesn't use that harsh word, dog. All right, so there's that. There's the fact that he's there. <laughs> he's in her region, right? If, if he's actually intending to dismiss her outright, her and Gentiles as a whole, why would he even be there? And then there's the fact that nowhere in Jesus' ministry does he dismiss people who are seeking him. Nowhere. In Luke chapter 7, there's a woman who had lived a sinful life. Code for perhaps she was a prostitute. She approached him. She let her hair down. She wet his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. Jesus did not dismiss her or turn her away because she had lived a sinful life. He allowed her to draw near. He invited her in. Jesus said, all who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. Even in Mark chapter 10, which we'll get to in a while, when he says to the rich young ruler, first go and sell everything you have, that's an invitation to deeper trust in him as he sends him off to deal with the idols of his heart. Nowhere does Jesus turn away someone who is coming to him in faith. Jesus isn't rejecting her. He's inviting her to persist. So then that raises the next question. Why make her persist? Like, why not just say, she's healed. The demon's cast out. I see your faith. She's, you know, she's fine. Why this invitation to persist? I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 18 about a widow who would not stop bugging this judge until this judge worked justice for her. And I think of that passage in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus says, Ask and ye shall find, seek, right? But it's not ask once, seek once, knock once. The Greek verb tense is progressive. It's keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Jesus has a way of encouraging people to persist. And she does. She persists with boldness and she persists with humility. First of all, again, coming back to the idea of a progressive Greek tense, you see it in verse 26. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him. The tense there is progressive. She kept on begging him. She fell, beneath his, or she fell at his feet and kept on persisting in this request that, she show mer- that he show mercy to her daughter by casting the demon out from her. She was bold in her approach. Tim Keller says of this woman, there are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are parents. She had a burden for her daughter who was terribly afflicted. And she was not going to let Jesus go until he blessed her. 
She was bold. But she was humble. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, But she answered him, Yes, Lord. She acknowledged his lordship. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In saying that, she was acknowledging, you know, you're right. I don't have a place at the table. I don't deserve to be there. Yet even as a puppy under the table, can we have some of the crumbs? Can my daughter be healed from this demon? Why did she persist? And why do so many of us turn away? She persisted. She based her approach on what Jesus could do, not what she deserved. She persisted because she was basing her approach to Jesus on what Jesus could do, not on what she thought she deserved. She knew she didn't deserve anything from Jesus. And that makes all the difference in the world. Are you approaching God for mercy based on your own goodness? Feeling as though you've earned it. You've worked hard. You've tried hard. You've been the best that you can be to be a good person. Now you may say, no, never. And yet, if you turn away in despair... That's the inverse of basing your approach to Jesus on merit. It's not saying, I'm good enough. It's turning away because you know you're not good enough. That too is basing your approach to Jesus on your own goodness, not on His goodness. It's not mercy if it's not undeserved. Mercy is for the undeserving. So we can persist because it's never, ever, ever about our deserving this mercy. It's always about God's desire in Christ to pour out mercy on those who come with two things. Their need in one hand and His promises in the other. And that's it. It makes all the difference in our approach. Mercy is for the undeserving and we're all undeserving. So persist. Maybe it is a child who's terribly afflicted and your heart is breaking for them. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's yourself. Persist in your approach. Persist in your request for mercy because mercy is for the undeserving. Not persist by looking within yourself, trying to stir up and generate more faith. If I just try hard enough to believe... I was looking at Jesus. The more we know Him, the more our faith in Him will grow. So, persist. Second, follow the pattern of God's mercy. And we see that in Jesus' interaction with this man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. So let's look at verses 33 and 34 and ask, why was Jesus doing this. Verse 33, And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. Alright, why not just say you're healed? Well, let's think about this for a second. First, we know it's not for show, because he pulled him aside privately. Alright, this was just him, Jesus, and this man. He touches his ears. The guy was deaf. He touches his tongue. The guy had a speech impediment. 
He couldn't have heard Jesus explaining to him, I am going to heal your hearing and your speech impediment. But Jesus, in great grace and compassion and mercy, touched his tongues, touched his, or his ears, touched his tongue, looked to heaven, and he was healed. How is that a pattern for us when it comes to showing mercy? And I want to think about, just briefly here as we wrap up, the look, the sigh, the touch, and the word. First, the look. Jesus looked at the man. He saw his condition. This man would not have been able to tell people about his concerns. He wouldn't be able to ask people questions when he was confused. And even when he would, you know, kind of be able to kind of look and, and, and point and people have some sense that there was some consternation, some confusion, some concern, he wouldn't have been able to hear what they were saying to set his heart at ease. He may not have been deaf from birth. He may have remembered the sound of his mother's voice or his father's voice or his friend's he probably was considered to be someone who was demon-possessed or had brought this on himself. That's the way it worked in ancient cultures. Jesus saw the man. And then he looked up. There was the look to heaven, which for Jesus was just a way of signaling to this man, what I'm about to do is from God. But for us, that look up is a look up in prayer. God, help me to remember that I am a recipient of that which I don't deserve, your mercy. Help me to really see this person in front of me. Help me to know how to show them your mercy. Oh God, would you touch the place in them, the same way that you touch the man's ears and his tongue, would you touch that place in them that is broken, that place that I can't see and reach. We look up in prayer. We see the person. We look up in prayer. We sigh. Why did Jesus sigh? This wasn't a sigh of frustration. Oh, yet another broken person brought in front of me who needs help. This was of the same species of emotion that Jesus felt when he stood in front of Lazarus' tomb and wept. Jesus felt compassion for this man. Do we feel compassion for people who are broken? When we look at the way that Sin has wrecked the world. When we look at the consequences that people experience in themselves for their own sin, do we see and feel compassion for them? Jesus did. Jesus saw and he felt deeply. You can't read the gospel accounts without realizing this is the kind of Savior that we have. Do we see? Do we pray? Do we feel compassion? And then do we speak? Jesus spoke. I'm sorry, Jesus touched. I forgot the touch. Jesus touched in order to heal the man. The challenge there for us is will we move in close enough to touch? Or will we kind of step back and maybe throw some money at the problem? Or will we get close? Will we touch? Having seen, will we move in close? Will we be present with people in their pain? And then finally, Jesus spoke. He spoke the word, be opened. We speak God's word. We speak the good news 
of the gospel, about a God whose mercy is wide. So there's the pattern for mercy. Look, feel, touch, and speak. Let's move on then to the third point. Proclaim the wideness of God's mercy. Now there is a link here that isn't evident unless you, again, are are looking at uh, the text in its original language. And this is back in in Mark chapter 7, in verse 32. So in 732, we read about this man. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Now that word that's translated speech impediment is a hopox legomenon. Everybody remember what that word means? That those two words? It only happens once. It's the only place that that word is used in the entire Greek New Testament for speech impediment. It's used there. Now, not coincidentally... In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 6 and 7, that same Greek word is used. And in the Septuagint, it's also a hopox legomenon. It's only there. And this is what Isaiah 35, 6 and 7 says. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, the, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Also, in Isaiah chapter 35, it's talking about a place, Lebanon, where this is going to take place. Guess where Tyre and Sidon is? Lebanon. Mark is very deliberately making a connection between what is happening in Jesus' ministry and what the prophet Isaiah foretold in Isaiah 35, and that is the widening of God's mercy. It will extend to all kinds of people because guess what? Every kind of person is undeserving of this mercy. Jesus is the promised Messiah from Isaiah chapter 35. And just as was promised in Genesis 12, that all the nations would be blessed through God's people, just as it was promised and prophesied in Isaiah chapter 49 that the Jews would be a light to the Gentiles, so too here is Jesus who is the Messiah, and through him God's mercy is on display. He is the God who brings salvation to the nations. His mercy runs wide and it runs deep. There is nothing that is broken beyond his ability to repair, and one day in him all will be mended. All will be healed. What should be our response Well, first, believe it. Believe it. When you are tempted to believe that God's mercy isn't for you, that God couldn't possibly show you favor, mercy, grace, please from that point go on and say, that's exactly the starting point for receiving it, not the point at which I turn away. And then proclaim it. As we are growing in our understanding of this God who has shown mercy to us, as our ears are unstopped so that we can hear that message, is it not true that our tongues have also been loosed so we can proclaim it? And the answer is yes. So proclaim it. How can God's mercy be shown to the undeserving without compromising God's justice? That's a legitimate question. Isaiah 35 addresses that as well. Isaiah 35 talks about God coming with vengeance. There's the promise of divine recompense in Isaiah 35. But Jesus doesn't come with vengeance. 
executing God's justice. There's no divine recompense. He's not smiting people. He's healing people. How can that be? Oh, we get the answer at the cross. Jesus didn't come to bring God's vengeance. He came to bear it. He bore it for all who know they are unworthy. But will believe in the wideness of God's mercy. The author of Hebrews wrote, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Persist in your pursuit of God's mercy for yourself and for others. Follow the pattern that Jesus has laid out in showing God's mercy to other people and proclaim what you have found in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this word, for this reminder of your great mercy, of its wideness and its depth. We are so thankful that it should extend even to us. Lord, help us to remember with joy that we who have no claim on your favor in Christ are richly blessed. Help us, O oh God, to remember that at the cross, your Son, Jesus, took what we deserve so that we can have what only He deserves. Acceptance, approval, favor, salvation in Him. And we ask this in His name. Amen.